You're listening to Scattered by Anchored Baptist Church, where we are working to reflect the diversity of Hermanus as we gather to hear good news and as we scatter to share it. Here's our big idea for this morning. You are kept now and forever by the name of Jesus. You are kept now and forever by the name of Jesus. All right, let's see how we can get there this morning. Before we get there, I need you to know this. John chapter 17 is the passage that I have preached on more than any other passage. I don't know if you know this, but here at Anchored, I think I've only preached on the same passage about three times. Two of those three times have been on John 17. And unfortunately, I'm not sure that I have a better grasp on John chapter 17 than I did when I started. In fact, when Tara and I began our journey back to South Africa in 2015, I wrote one sermon, and that one sermon was supposed to carry me from devotional to small group to church to wherever it took me. And so I preached that passage I don't know how many times, okay? Um, Now, it was a little bit different each and every time, uh, and yet it was the same general idea each and every time. Uh, That Jesus, actually, I can't even remember all the points right now. I'd have to go back. Um, And then, actually, my very first time preaching here in Hermanus, we were still over at DeVette Hall, um, and I preached on this passage. And then, two years ago. Also, one time, a friend from Suhithle invited me to come and preach at his church, And he said, uh, I need you to preach for about an hour and a half. And I said, wow, that is astounding. Um, I did an hour and 15 minutes, and it's because I preached all of John chapter 17, and I completed the task. I don't regret it. However, I do regret all the friends that were potential that I lost in the midst of preaching for an hour and 15 minutes. May they forgive me. (laughs) And so, all that to say, I'm still not sure that I know how to preach this passage just right. Typically, I've preached the second half of the passage, or the the second portion of it. And here in this first portion, um, it it is a little bit difficult, because all of John chapter 17, look, I don't know how fast Jesus was speaking. I don't know, maybe he was speaking slowly. Um, I don't know if he was audible for everyone else around him, all the disciples, the whole time. I don't have a clue. All I do know is that when you read John chapter 17, it comes at you very fast. It is word after word after word after great blessing being handed down to the followers of Jesus, those who are saved, those that are in his name, They're in the room with him and forevermore. And so it's just big. There's a lot to drink in. There's a lot to take in. In fact, not only is there a lot to take in, but Jesus is constantly repeating himself in this passage. 
And the first couple of times he uses a word, you think to yourself, ah, I get it. And then by the time, for instance, our passage this morning, you hear the word glory for about the eighth or ninth time, you think to yourself, well, I thought I knew what that word meant, but now I'm a little bit less sure. So let's take glory. Usually when we talk about glory, we talk about um, God's goodness and his greatness. A literal way of understanding it would be weight or heaviness. So when we're talking about glory, we're talking about the heaviness, the seriousness, the bigness of God's goodness and his greatness. Let's get a firm foundation for this word glory. Glory is found back at the very beginning of John in chapter 1, verse 14, when we read about God revealing Himself by becoming flesh. The Word made flesh. John also notes that all of the miracles of Jesus are revelations of His glory. We see that specifically in chapter 2, verse 11, and in chapter 11. And John continually highlights the difference between the glory that comes from God and then the kind of glory that comes from humans. And in John's Gospel, this can be, yeah, amazing things that people have done, but it is also typically, uh, we're talking about sinfulness, where people are trying to make themselves big, trying to make themselves into God, as it were. This glory of God is revealed to us in John's Gospel then, in the incarnation or the the becoming of flesh of Jesus. It's different from the glory of the world. And ultimately, God's glory is made most clear to us when Jesus enters into His suffering. In fact, in this prayer, Jesus anticipates how the shame of the cross will will be showing the gloriousness of God and His saving work and making it understood. So here in Jesus' prayer today also, He talks about glorifying the Father. And... The Father glorifying Him and Him being glorified in us. And then asking that God the Father would continue to glorify Him through His suffering. I've just thrown a lot at you. If it seems repetitive and now confusing, welcome to John chapter 17. Okay? Everything that I've just said to you is true from John chapter 17 and from John's gospel at large. And yet that doesn't always make it easier to understand. In fact, in some ways, uh, the more that you use a word over and over and over again and and you don't give some, some depth to that word, it begins to lose its meaning. I actually saw kind of an illustration of this yesterday. Um, We were out as a family, and we were at this playground. And I don't know what these things are called. What's the things that you stand on? 
and all the kids stand on them, and then you run in a circle and push the thing? Or you like... Okay, good. Now, what's the... Is there a name for the one that doesn't have a floor on it? It's just like a disc that you... Okay, same thing. Those things are deadly. I was watching these kids yesterday, and rightfully so, they look at this thing, and it was like a nice one. So, um, you know, like the cylinder that it sat on was like really greased well, and it was stable, and I, it feels like you could have just pushed that thing a million kilometers per hour, and it would have stayed right there, okay? And so, in a good way, these kids see this wonderful thing sitting in front of them, um, and then what happens, though, right? You begin to add more weight to this thing, right? And you don't want to be in the center of it, because if you're in the center of it, that's not where the fun's at. The fun's on the outside, where you add the weight, and then it speeds up and up and up. And I sat there watching yesterday, because none of my kids were on it, and I thought, someone is going to bleed. <laughs> and, so, so, and so this is what the kids were doing, right? They just kept adding more and more kids to it. And you start to see um, the children that are getting drug underneath of it, um, but of course, they're not going to go show their parents that because they don't want their parents to know what was going on. So you see some tears sucked up. You see the one kid that has his legs locked into it, but he's hanging out the side. And so you can just tell like his femurs, his femurs, these big bones in your legs are suddenly going like, <laughs> and he's holding on with all the strength that he has just hoping that this blood in his head is not going to make him pass out and eventually the person that's making them go fast will stop okay it's called i think it's called centrifugal force okay <laughs> it's when eventually there's just going to be children that are flying off the edges of this thing to the moon okay all right <laughs> look this is almost what's going on with the word glory here. Jesus has so attributed so much to the word glory in this passage that I'm now getting lost. Now, hear me, hear me, understand me. I actually just explained what glory is, what it means. We heard about all the ways that God is being glorified, that Jesus is being glorified, how we're glorifying God, and yet now the waters are just a little bit muddied. And here's the truth, us as Christians, when we start reading things like this, we're like those kids that we have strained all of the tendons in our neck, and we've strained all these muscles in our, in our legs so much, and we've scraped our back against the ground so much that we've suddenly realized this thing that we were doing wasn't fun anymore, but we're too embarrassed to tell our parents that we're injured. And we're maybe not even going to notice it till the next day. This is what Christians do when we come to the Word of God. We hear something repeated, and it sounds like fun. Glory! Ah, oh, that's great! Yeah! Yeah, and, and uh, we're going to glorify God, and it's all glory be to God. And, but at the end of the day, we're walking away and we're thinking, ooh, I'm not going to tell anyone that I have no idea what's going on here anymore. <laughs> this is a little bit about what is going on in this passage. Um, and so what I want to do is I want to walk through this text one more time. I, I want to walk through it slowly. And I want us to use everything that we've heard. 
from our passages earlier, from what we learned last week. And I want us to, to at least try, just one second, I want us to at least try Uh, to do our best and make what should be seemingly very clear here, uh, but actually gets muddied, clear, okay? Now, if you hear something in this text that you say, we read that this morning, you're allowed to do just what I did, okay? You're allowed to point that out to me. All right. When Jesus had spoken these words, so again, this is Jesus' sermon, right? Hey, wait, I've got something. Last week, when we were talking about, um, uh, what were we talking about? Jesus doesn't leave us alone, right? He gives us all of himself. We were told last week that we should be abiding in something, dwelling, living in something. What was that something? Ooh, judgments will be made if you can't get the, no, I'm joking. Dwelling, abiding in something. What were we supposed to be dwelling in, abiding in? The Word, the Word. We were supposed to be dwelling in and abiding in the Word. And so now we're at the end of a sermon here. When Jesus is preaching a sermon, what's He doing? He's giving the Word to us, okay? And specifically, Jesus is giving a sermon about who He is for His disciples and who He's going to be for all of those who trust in Him. He's giving them good news. His death on the cross for the forgiveness of their sins. And so when Jesus had spoken these words, which we're supposed to be dwelling in, clinging on to, guarding, abiding by, or abiding in rather, when he had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you. You know what we often do when we come together on a Sunday? is we, we, we read a text or two, and then we pray. Why? Is it, oh, that's just a habit? That's just the way it's set up? No. Because we actually need to be dwelling in that Word, abiding in that Word, to even know how to begin to pray. Jesus just modeled this for us. So he preaches his sermon, and then he goes and he prays, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you. So let's break this down. How is God the Father going to glorify His Son? God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, right? We're talking about Jesus going to the cross here and suffering on the cross for you, taking your sin upon Himself. This is how He's going to glorify the Father And why is Jesus saying this? So that I may glorify you. Now, we learned last week, and we've been learning all along, that Jesus and the Father are one, right? That God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, one true God. Now, Jesus, speaking of Himself, says, Since you have given Him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given Him, We'll come back to who's been given. What are we talking about? And this is eternal life. That's the more important part that Jesus points out first. That they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, 
whom you have sent. What does it mean here to know Jesus? Now, we'll come back to this when we're reminded about His name being put on us and that being the thing that keeps us. But specifically, we know that Jesus is God. We know that Jesus was uh, the Word made flesh. We know that He took on flesh, lived a human life. In the midst of that human life, He abided He abided by God's Word in ways that we never could. He stayed connected to the Father. He uh, dwelled in God's Word, if we wanted to say it like that, in ways that we never could. He lived a life that we don't live. And He took our sin upon Himself. He goes to the cross. He dies for us. He is raised for our justification, and we have the promise of eternity with Him. What do we usually call that? Glorification, right? Yeah. Sharing in that glory, then, that's being spoken of here. But that's what we mean by knowing Jesus. This is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Jesus says, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Verse 6. I have manifested your name to the people. Okay. I have made your name known. I have made it known. I have made your name known to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Are we talking about obedience now? This is the same hill, the same river that we had to cross, the same hill that we had to climb last week. What is the keeping here? We're not talking about obedience Although obedience should be a part of this. What are we talking about when we're talking about keeping? We are talking about guarding, holding on to, clinging to, not letting go of, abiding in, dwelling in, all of this. This carries a lot of weight. This simple word of kept carries a lot of weight for us. And they have what your word? They have clung to your word. They have guarded it. They have made sure that it's kept safe in themselves, if you wanted to say it like that. They are dwelling in that word. Now they know that everything you have given me is from you. Jesus keeps going back to this. He keeps going back to everything was from you. Hey, God, they were yours. Then you gave them to me. Yeah. whom you gave me out of the world, yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. How are they doing that? They're doing it specifically, these disciples, by clinging to Jesus. Right? They have kept tight to that word. 
Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. That is, the Father and the Son are one. That's what Jesus is pointing us to. For I have given them the words that you gave me. So once again, things have gone from God to Jesus. For I have given them the words that you gave me. And they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you. And they have believed that you sent me. So not only are the things coming from God, but Jesus himself is coming from God. And now Jesus said, I am praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those that you have given me, for they are yours. Josh, you and I were talking about this on Friday, but John does some interesting things with this word world throughout the course of his his books and more specifically his gospel. Because John tells us that Jesus died for the sins of the whole world. And yet Jesus now tells us, I'm not praying for the whole world. I'm praying for those that you've given to me. We have this very hard dichotomy that we read about in the text of Scripture over and over and over again. Um, Namely, that who are those people that Jesus is talking to? It's those that have had that word put into their ears and they're holding tightly to that word. How does faith come to us? Faith comes by hearing. Hearing through that word of God. Specifically, the word about Christ. So this is what Jesus is pointing us to. Who are those people? Do we need to be concerned about, okay, so who exactly has God given to Jesus? No, we know who those people are. It's those that have heard that word and have believed it. Okay? I'm praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All of mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. Now Jesus, looking forward to what is going to happen to him. I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world. And I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. Now through the rest of John chapter 17, um, I'll I'll throw throw out the three things that I normally preach on this passage. Jesus is praying for us that we would stay saved as it were, that we would stay safe in Him. He also prays for us that we would uh, stay safe from the evil one, much like Peter warned us about today. He also prays that we would stay sent, sent out into the world. Because why? Because he is no longer in the world, but they are in the world. And he knows that we need his word. Specifically, what does he say? That we will be kept by your name, Holy Father. That we will be kept by the name of God that is placed on us. Which you have given to Jesus, that they may be one even as we are one. We confess this morning that Jesus was given a certain kind of name. What kind of name was it from Philippians? Okay. Okay. 
name that is above, ah, there it is, above all other names. Uh, Jesus continues on in John chapter 17 to talk about this name that has been given to him, this name that he shares with the Father. We, we don't really know exactly what this name is. Maybe this name is Yahweh, and it's in the book of Revelation. It could be pointing to that. But throughout John's writing, he's constantly talking about this name that's been given to Jesus. Paul tells us about this name that is above all other names that's given to Jesus. But I think David brought out something really important for us in Psalm 68 this morning. We know that Jesus is both loving and He is just. But I think the one thing that Psalm 68 brings out for us is that Jesus is merciful. Yeah? In Jesus, the mercy of God is shown to us. So even though we don't know exactly what this name is, we do know that it's the name that Jesus has. It's the name that's been put on us through His Word. And it's the name that's going to carry us through to the end. Now, this is a difficult passage to understand. You've got to take it slow. You read it word by word. And yet, I think that there's something interesting happening here that you and I, either it's going to take us a really long time to understand fully, or we might not understand fully. If you were to hear me talking to my father right now, I think you would all be surprised at how not understandable my father and I would be to you. Aislinn's always pointing this out to me. Uh, she's always pointing out how I'm just like my dad. Just like Paul. And it's true. I can't help it. And then you get us into a room together and the volume goes up to 45 and it's loud and it's hard to understand the Americanness that's coming out of both of us. Even sometimes I call home and I'm surprised because I forgot that they talked like that. And then at the end of the conversation, I'm surprised because I forgot that I talk like that. And, and then my Americanness gets turned up all the way when I'm on the phone too. And then for days, I'm walking around the house talking in ways that my children don't understand anymore. <sighs> in a similar way, there's something happening like that in this passage. There is an intimacy between Jesus and the Father, they are one, that we don't quite comprehend. And yet, we also know that we're being brought into that union. That we have been united to Christ. That we have been made a part of God's family. That just like Jesus, we are um, sons and daughters. We are Jesus' brothers and sisters. We are brought into that family. And more and more, the more that we study passages like this, the different things that we're going to see, the different blessings that honestly we'll receive from this passage at different times in life and in different situations. 
But the closeness of this prayer, a conversation between a father and son, a conversation between God Himself. At the risk of being way too simple about it, Jesus is interceding. That is, He is stepping in and speaking for all of His disciples. Jesus is interceding praying to the one person who understands Him well enough that not every word needs to be explained or understood in the midst of conversation. There's many things between my father and I that you would listen and think, what is going on? And yet, you might walk away and say, it's fine, they know what they're talking about. (laughs) And so, Jesus prays to His Father here before His crucifixion. This is the same Jesus who promises that He continues to pray to His Father after His crucifixion on your behalf. After His death and resurrection, Jesus ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of the Father where He rules over all things. Now He intercedes for us. Jesus knows the temptations, the struggles, the burdens we bear. Jesus being made flesh gives Him the deep, a deep experience with this. Jesus has shared your life experience. His crucifixion carried the weight of all sin. His resurrection from the dead and His bodily ascent going back to heaven with the scars that He receives, that He received, means for you that He continues to know that experience that we all struggle through. It's not strange to Him and He hasn't forgotten it. This risen, ascended, In flesh, Jesus has sent His Spirit to dwell in our hearts. Why? Because last week we learned He does not leave us orphaned. The Spirit takes our sufferings, our groanings that we cannot put into words and brings them to Jesus. Jesus brings them to His Father and His Father hears and responds, doing what is best for us. His beloved children, who live in the kingdom of His Son, to whom all praise and honor are due, to our one true God. Anchored, the intimacy of Jesus' prayer this morning can be confusing to us. And yet you need to know that Jesus is just as intimately connected with your experiences in this world as He is with the Father. And He is just as intimately connected to you through His Spirit as He is with the Father. 
and anchored because of this, you are kept in this world that is in the here and now, in the faith, and in the saving relationship by the name of Jesus. That name which is above all other names. Let me pray for us. Father God, we love you and we thank you for your word this morning. God, thank you for this beautiful model of prayer that really Jesus has already given to his disciples. Our Father who's in heaven, hallowed be your name. This is how Jesus comes to you, Father. And this is how Jesus prays to you on our behalf. Thank you, Lord, that he has not stopped praying for us but He continues to intercede for us, stepping in on our behalf. And Lord, thank You for the guarantee that we have of that, that even in the midst of this life, even in the midst of all hardships, even in the midst of all confusion, even in the midst of understanding that we don't have the same kind of closeness to You that we would always like to be experiencing, that You have given us Your Spirit, God, who steps in and prays when we cannot, who, who, who steps into the gap for us and prays on our behalf, giving us that intimacy with You that we need, that we cannot produce in and of ourselves. Father God, we thank You for that. And we thank You most of all that Your Son has given us His life and His righteousness which produced for us a salvation that we could never get for ourselves. It's in His name we pray. Amen. Until next time, know that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God the Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit is with you all.